0: Welcome, B2B startups, changeups, scale-ups, and grown-ups. This is the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. Let's do this. Roderick Jefferson, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with
1: us. Eric, my pleasure. I really appreciate it.
0: Let's let's start with just a basic overview, you know elevated uh, explanation from a high level what is sales enablement
1: sure that's first of all a great place to start and no to us sales enablement and interestingly enough I believe that if you ask ten people you'll probably get 12 answers so I'll give you the answer that we use when our clients and prospects ask. and it's really about breaking the complexity of the sales selling motion as well as the customer buyer journey into practical ideas through scalable and repeatable practices that will then lead to increased revenue. So at the end of the day, net, net, it's really about helping sales teams get in the right conversation, the right way, and humanizing that.
0: What's hard about it? What are the biggest challenges companies that want to do that
1: face? Well, I think there are a number of challenges. One is, first and foremost, the thing that we just did, that's understanding what sales enablement is. The second piece is understanding what sales enablement is not. We are not IT, and I don't mean that disrespectfully at all because they've saved my career a number of times, but we're not the, break, the fixers of broken things. We really have to be a partner with sales, sales ops, um, marketing, all the lines of business, to make sure that we weave all of these learning experiences into the fabric of the company. Now I call us the translators of dialects and languages. We've gotta be able to speak marketing, product marketing, product management, engineering, and then translate that into sales speak, then take that out to prospects and customers, come back and reverse engineer that to each of the lines of business. Here's a couple examples. So product marketing, we've got the company pitch and we're out sharing that and what I'm seeing is We get to slide number eight, starts to get a little fuzzy. What can we do to kind of smooth that out and add a bit of context? Product management. We're hearing the same requests over and over. How do we move that up on the release cycle so that we're meeting the needs of our prospects and our customers in a timely manner? HR. We are now shifting in the direction as a company from a competitive perspective, from a landscape perspective, from a release and and also our solutions and offerings. We need to start thinking about things like IEP, ideal employee profile, rather than just our employee, excuse me, our ideal client or customer profile. We can't hire the same folks now to get us across the chasm later. Does that make sense, Eric? It sounds to me, I mean, like you're talking about alignment. At the end of the day, it's really that. We are the orchestra masters. Think about music from an orchestral perspective. It's a lot of notes on pages and people and different instruments playing at their own pace and and level until you have that one conductor step up, tap the stand and say, okay, everyone on the same page, everyone aligned. We're all going to play that. And it becomes an absolutely beautiful piece of music. That's sales enablement.
0: But, but at the end of the day, you're, you're climbing, you're working for the, for sales, right? You're
1: coming from. No, we do not work for sales. That's another misnomer we are working with sales we work for our prospects and our customers we are the voice of of them inwardly and also outwardly we are partners with sales we are partners with product marketing product management engineering HR etc and we're the hub that spokes out and touches each of those different organizations to ensure that the voice of the customer is not only heard but also actionable well, from
0: your perspective, you know, when you're, 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 you're engaging clients, it sounds like a very complex sale.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the key is you really have to understand what their needs are. And we always focus on three things, key differentiation, competitive advantage, and business value. Now, sales folks, we're very good at that first two. Here's a newsflash your clients your prospects only care about the third so the way we define business value is so mr and mrs customer we've got all these cool toys bells and whistles but at the end of the day we help you do one of two things either increase productivity and efficiency or decrease pain other than that we're not we don't really have any value to them if we can't hit on those key points
0: and and who in the organization
1: is driving um sales and amendments. again that depends upon the organization it depends upon the size of the company it also depends upon the experience not the products or solutions but the experience that you're actually selling to your prospects and clients I've seen it report into the CRO I've also reported into the COO I've seen it report into product marketing um, I've also seen it report into learning and development so it really depends upon of the focus of your organization, and the maturation cycle. I think there are some places that are better than others, but, yeah, again, it depends on the company. How, when you're going through this alignment
0: process and you're working with the folks in marketing, what typically – I mean, are there any general um, uh, generalizations you can make about what you tend to find and, and what marketers can do to better
1: support sales? Absolutely. Now, bear in mind, again, to your point a generalization, what we're finding is that most of the folks in marketing don't truly speak sales speak, if you will, right, which means at some point, they've never actually carried a bag or had that experience of being out and actually selling, which is an incredible experience, and also an uplift of credibility with sales folks to be able to say, hey, I was one of you. I've been through this. I've walked in your shoes. I know how comfortable or uncomfortable they are. The thing that I see that can help to overcome that is become a partner with sales at multiple levels, at the executive level, at the leadership level, and then also down at the individual contributor level. Go in and literally do informational interviews at each one of those levels to find out what's important to them, what their hotspots are, what's top of mind for them, and also how you can now learn to speak their language instead of expecting them to be able to speak marketing speak.
0: And Roderick, as a, as a subject matter expert, when you come into an organization, how do you enable that alignment between marketing and sales?
1: Well, it starts with an overall gap analysis across the organization. We talk to marketing, we talk to sales, we talk to product marketing, HR, everyone that is going to impact and touch the buyer's journey. And that's the thing we stress. We're not here to find out about your selling process, your selling methodology, etc. We want to understand how your solutions are solving problems, but where do you fit into the buyer's journey? And who are the partners along that enablement um, food chain, if you will, that you need in order to be successful. Now, once we define what that is, secondly, then we define what are the gaps right now? Is it communication, is it messaging and positioning, or is it just lack of communication uh, amongst the lines of business, i.e., we've got silos in place. Once we all agree and nod on that, the next step is how do we better communicate with each other from the lenses of how are we helping those clients again to either increase productivity and efficiency or decrease pain and stay everything beyond that outside of the box. Focus on the buyer's journey. Focus on the buyer, the client, the prospect, and how we can make them more successful by teaming together.
0: When, when you're looking at a buyer's journey, or, um, granted, you know they're, they're all different uh, to some degree, but they're also similar to some degree. What are sort of the similar points on a customer journey that you are looking for when you're evaluating uh, an organization and doing a gap
1: analysis? Well, you're absolutely right. You know, across industries, they're actually closer to being similar than they are dissimilar. And there are some key points. One is, do they have this clearly defined? And, you know, the smaller companies, even to some of the larger companies we work with, haven't had it defined. And we've kind of narrowed it down to a few categories. One is identifying, you know, the concern, the consequence, the compelling event. The next is, um, is it feasible to be able to assess that? So the next is assessment, right? you got to understand the goal, the evaluation, um, the actions that are needed, those kind of things. The next is, um, what will addressing this concern actually do for me? So now how do I prioritize this? What's the action impact? What's the budget allocated? What resources are needed? Which then leads me to who can help me? Now, there's my other partners. Alignment across company goals, internal and external resources. What's the scoping process? What's the selection process? And then finally, what will it take to implement this, right? Do we have a structured implementation plan? Do we understand the business impact results? What are the additional insights and key learnings that we need? And then the last piece is what are the platforms or tools that we need that can automate this? And then finally, what are the metrics that we wrap around this to ensure that everything we're doing is revenue impacting?
0: T- talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, the conventional sales funnel, this idea that, you know, marketing would introduce people into the top of, of, of the funnel and then, you know, some, somewhere in the middle, they would be qualified and, uh, and handed off to sales. And, um, and, and, and do you assess that
1: separately from the customer journey or is that part of the customer journey? No, we actually tie the selling process and the selling motions to the customer journey. But we do it a bit differently. How does our selling process, selling methodology, et cetera, selling stages, all of that, how do those then fit into the buyer's journey. So let me see if I can connect those for you. From a buyer's perspective, when they're talking about the identification, that leads directly to the standard you know, prospecting or leads, And that has changed, right? It used to be marketing just provided these leads and, and they hoped that it worked out and these were within our ideal customer profile, no longer. These literally have to be a bit more seasoned and vetted before they come across. Then you look at the assessment piece in the buyer's journey Tie that to, as I was saying, the validation that now becomes the opportunity of identifying the goals, objectives, needs, problems, those kind of things. Now, that prioritization stage in the buyer's journey then turns into the qualification piece in the selling process, securing sponsorship, validating your stakeholders, developing and validating a solution, etc. cetera. The next step is in the buyer's journey, that evaluation piece, which then turns into The negotiation stage in the selling process, you know, the strategy of overcoming um, pushback or objections and then talking about terms and pricing and all those pieces. And the final piece is the implementation stage in the customer journey that then ties to the activation stage. Of The selling process you've now confirmed that you've got the executed agreement. You've confirmed the engagement time frame the logistics You may have a prepayment received at that point and then you go into your initial project kickoff and it gets rolling from there Does that help let's talk Yeah,
0: let's talk about lead qualification for a second and let's role play this, okay? I'm the CEO of a fast-growing SaaS startup um, tech um, VC-funded tech startup, and um, and you're in my office, and, um, and I've called you in because I have a problem. And uh, here's my problem. My problem is, you know, marketing is getting all these great leads, or so they say, and sales is saying all these leads are lousy, and they can't close any of them. Um, what are some of the questions you'd ask me to help me
1: solve this problem? So first of all, great scenario. And there's, there's uh, again, a set of questions and I would first talk to you about where's the impact having the most or creating the most pain. Is it with your new hires? Are you seeing this as a problem with your legacy folks or do you have rock stars that are doing this well that we could leverage what they're doing? Or do you see this later in the buying cycle? Now, if it's early on, I want to talk to you about things like, you know, lagging market expansion or del- how this is delaying your product growth and how this is now impacting employee churn or slowing revenue attainment, or is it around a need for more increased coaching of your first and second line managers? Do your coaches know how to coach to get this from into a consistent process? And then finally... I want to talk to you about how we can help to decrease your ramp up time and getting those people to productivity faster, but then also engaging the other lines of business and engaging your legacy sellers to make sure this becomes consistent. Then finally, I want to talk to you about the tools that can help to one automate this second validate this thirdly, put metrics around it and then finally make this a scalable and repeatable process so that you're not wasting time recreating the wheel
0: over and over and over does that help yes so you know there's a ton of prospecting research options out there um, you know it's, it's almost like you could just spin your wheels all day uh, online researching prospective customers um, so you know it's, it's possible with all these tools to be constantly busy, but not always productive. What's the best way to help sales development reps focus on what matters?
1: Again, focus on one being genuinely curious during the discovery and qualification phase, because you are literally laying the foundation for a house that is to be built. Secondly, it's really getting an understanding of, what's important to the individual, as well as what's important to the corporation. Sometimes what you're talking about could really help them to move their career forward or put them in a spotlight or give them an opportunity to be the go-to subject matter experts. You've gotta understand not just the business need, but what is the personal impact to the individual that you're speaking to. And then thirdly, you have to understand and be able to articulate how you're going to help them either increase productivity and efficiency or decrease the pain that they're experiencing today. And then I think finally, now we start talking about what are the tools that can be used to help you in that process and also to help your prospect during that process. And, and you know once you've done that,
0: how, would, how do you measure the effectiveness of the sales enablement program?
1: Oh, now that is where things start to get interesting. When you start talking about measurements, there are some standardized measurements that we look at from a sales enablement perspective. And so if we're talking about AE and ramp time, we're looking at things like you know accreditation certification percentage completion, average deal size, um, new pipeline created, number of closed deals, What's the product mix if you have multiple products in your bag? What's the quota percentage attainment? What's the time to first close the revenue? And then what's the win rate percentage? If you're talking about at the BDR and SDR level, we're talking about things like, you know, all the activities that are leading to those sales qualified opportunities, the daily, the weekly, the monthly goal, the meeting, the SQL, the number of calls, all of those pieces all now start to tie into a bow and it's no longer just about the vanity stats that we used to look at, you know, butts and seats and NPS score and those kind of things. It's really what revenue-generating metrics are we able to provide to the organization that will show that we are a partner in generating revenue and moving the needle for our sales folks, getting them more selling time.
0: What about, you know, the issue of retention? You know, Glassdoor found... I think 68% of salespeople are actively looking for their next job. So after you've got all this time and energy into bringing uh, uh, an SDR, or BDR up to speed, you know how do, you, how do you retain them?
1: Again, I think there are a number of ways to go about that. And it starts literally with the um, employee assessment and acquisition, even before they're brought on. It starts with the kind of individuals and their skill set that you're bringing on. Are you bringing on folks that will help you today, or are you building as a hyper-growth company towards where are you going, and that's the kind of individuals you're hiring? Then from there, do you have a consistent onboarding program that gets them excited and also informed and able to hit the ground running right away? Do you now add in, and how do you add in, and what mediums are you using, to share role-specific ongoing enablement with these folks beyond just the new hire piece. Do you have true sales coaches or do you have just sales managers? Do your coaches know how to coach to understand where are the shortcomings of these folks? What are they looking for? What does their career path look like and how do you help get them there? Next, do you have the right measurements and also are you rewarding these people in a timely manner Beyond just, hey, rah-rah calls, you did really well. But what are you doing with this individual to be able to motivate them to be more successful and thus happier to stay in place? And then finally, and I think most importantly, do you have a structured succession planning process in place to where you're taking all of those things collectively that I just outlined and you are now creating more leaders and less followers? Now, these people could have an aspiration to move to a sales leadership role. They may want to move into a sales enablement role or a product marketing role. Let's not box them in. Let's find out what's important to them and then help them to drive their career so that they can successfully move into the next role that fits them, not just what's going to be beneficial for the company.
0: How do you provide guidance, templates, metrics, and best processes to enable consistent, scalable, repeatable onboarding programs.
1: Oh, That's again, one of those mysteries of sales enablement. And it is in our case from experience, right? We, we in our company, we've got oh, probably a hundred years of experience. and Everyone here has been a sales manager and or bag carrying individual. And so I think it starts with that level of credibility. When you're in house, it's about meeting with your sales leaders to understand that laundry list of metrics that I read off earlier, which of those four or five, and, and I wouldn't go 10, 12, but which of these four or five, Mr. or miss CRO, COO, CEO, depending upon the level and size of your company, which of these are the most impactful metrics that we can now monitor and share out to you to show that this is happening and if it's not happening that we can now iterate and kind of shift and turn the boat around if you will in a timely manner to make sure that we're hitting those or at least moving in the right direction so it's about communication and alignment again so um,
0: you know you're saying that you know your experience as a salesperson uh, is one of the one of the things that you know helps you deliver guidance, templates, metrics, and best processes. Um, Do you feel as though uh, a salesperson is better equipped to create, um, you know, written templates, documents that would be used to pony up leads and nurture uh, prospective uh, clients uh, to a conversion?
1: Or do you think it should be marketing? Or do you think it should be both? Oh, it's definitely both. I'm glad you added that last piece in it takes the actual practitioner feet on the street from the sales folks to say, here's what I'm seeing. And then it takes marketing again, to be able to articulate that in sales speak so that it becomes again, to your point, scalable and repeatable and consistent. So I'm taking the feet on the street. I'm tying that together with the marketing expertise of messaging and positioning. And then I'm tying a bow around that with either an accreditation or a certification, to ensure that everyone is speaking the same language and that we can validate this as we go along the process. And as it iterates and changes, we are repetitively um, serving up that accreditation or certification. Look, the competitive landscape changes, acquisitions happen, shift in market pressure happens, changes and releases inside of a company happen. Whenever any of those things happen, you should put in place some kind of validation point stand and deliver if you will not just quizzes and tests those are easy to get around but really having to articulate the business value of not only that change but how it's going to positively impact our prospects and customers how do you get marketing um on the same page
0: i mean what if the the folks in marketing think oh we we know this better you guys are sales guys you don't understand how it works. We're marketing people. How do you get, um, what's the, what are some of the good ways to get marketing to really take the
1: uh, buyer intelligence they get from sales to heart? We started something that, that we call the sales enablement council and it includes sales enablement, marketing, product marketing, all the other lines of business. We get together on a monthly or a quarterly basis. And one, we bring them into the process. Look, it's no longer, we've got a sales boot camp in two weeks. Can you guys come in and give us the company pitch? We need you for about a half an hour on Tuesday at 4 o'clock. Now it's, we've planned out all of our learning experiences. Here's what we're looking to do from a goal and objective perspective. Here's what we think we need you to be able to help out and where you will certainly add value in these pieces. And here's the timeline. No more surprises. No more making them an afterthought. Really bringing them into the process. And then being able to come back later with those metrics and say, because we partnered together, we were able to, and here's an example. At one company, we were able to trim time to first close from 88 days down to 54 days. And thank you for the input that you gave, the e-learning tutorials you helped us build, the one-pagers, the, um, excuse me, the objection handling pieces. Thanks for being a part of the workshop. Thank you for these pieces. And because we work jointly, we were able to do this. How did this work for you? What are the key takeaways? And what can we all do better going forward?
2: This is the internet, and it's filled with unencrypted data. Data that can be targeted by all kinds of eavesdroppers. All
1: I need is Wi-Fi and some software, and
2: I can see everything you're up to. The EFF has been protecting your privacy online for over 25 years. And now their goal is to encrypt the web, the whole thing. Switch every site from insecure HTTP to secure HTTPS. That S makes all the difference. It's for secure. The lock lets you know your session is safe. Here's the problem. Not every site supports encryption yet but the EFF has you covered with two powerful tools. The first is HTTPS Everywhere. It's a plugin for browsers like Chrome and Firefox. It encrypts your communication with most major websites. So they can't spy on it. The second tool is CertBot. If you run your own site, you can easily secure it with an SSL certificate. That used to be a huge, expensive hassle, but CertBot simplifies and automates the whole thing and it costs zero dollars. And that's just the beginning. Find out all the ways the EFF is protecting your rights online at EFF.org. Stay safe out there.
0: You hear um, more and more in this area, people use the term best processes.
1: Are, Are best practices dead? Yeah, that's another one of those things being tossed around. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in best practices and best processes, both, because it stops you from having to recreate the wheel. If you've got something that you know works, iterate on it. Make sure that it works in your company, not just because it worked in the last company or it may work in another company that you've worked with. But make sure that it works in your place. And, again, make sure that it's all pointing towards revenue-generating metrics.
0: How do, you, um, how do you provide resource planning, organizational alignment, and tools advisory uh, to build the sales enablement function?
1: Again, it starts – remember the assessment that we talked about earlier? It starts there. And what I want to do is share kind of five P's that we look at when we're looking at what we call you know, the blueprint of success, which is that alignment and also um, resource alignment. One is, do we all, are we all on the same page of the purpose of which we're going to do this? What's our culture? What's our charter? And what does success look like? The next P is people. What's the right structure? What talent is needed? What's the compensation that's driving them? And then how do we create more leaders? The next P is programs. We're looking at onboarding, global initiatives, competitive pieces, domain expertise. How are we covering all those? in different tools and modalities that fit. Some folks are visual, some are auditory learners. Are we putting it out in print? Are we sharing it in e-learning? Are we putting it out in playlists? Are we putting it out in podcasts, et cetera? The next P is performance. We're talking about from communications, coaching, continuous learning, tools, metrics. How are we gauging those? Are we using them the right way at the right time in the buyer's journey? Do we have the buyer's journey tied to our selling process? And then the final P is platforms. How do we scale? How do we automate? And then what metrics are we communicating that wraps a bow around all of the other pieces of this process? Beautiful. Let's, let's
0: wrap it up with a little discussion about, about, about tech stacks. Because I know when we started, you said, hey, I'm not a coder, I don't do that. But I would imagine you do get involved in helping spec and and integrate the the tech stack that's used
1: for revenue, yeah? Absolutely. We do, as a part of that gap analysis, we actually do a tech stack audit as well. And we also make recommendations. And it's, it's really building out a centralized communication plan of making sure all these tools not only play together, but you're using the appropriate tool at the right time during that customer buying journey again. And we break it into specific categories, one learn, excuse me, learning management systems. What are you using to consolidate all of your learners history and all of their backgrounds in a single location? The next is, and people tend to leave this one out. Do you have a centralized event calendar so that sales folks don't have to go to 17 different places to find information for your upcoming calls, your all hands, all those. And if they are out selling and closing business, you in a timely manner within 24 hours now providing a link in that same calendar to the replay for that given information the next is a content management system of making sure that you have all of your content in a single location it's being parsed out on a role specific basis that is getting to the right level at the right time and that it is being vetted and or that the sales folks have a voice in rating the information so you don't have any dead or useless, archaic information. The next is reinforcement calls, and that can be on things like new releases, upcoming changes, competitive landscape, shifts in the market, those kind of things. The next is coaching tools for the first and second line coaches, teaching and coaching the coaches on how to coach from a proficiency, a methodology perspective as well. And it also ties to a competency model. And the final piece is it's a mobile society. We can't get away from it. It's who we are. We all live by our phones and are connected to them. So we need to have either podcast library or playlists as companies like chorus are doing now, which are great for onboarding as well as coaching, as well as reinforcement. And then finally it all ties together with the certification or accreditation, which validates the learning experience. Does that help? Yeah, you like you like course, huh? Love course. We are a big user, and again, we because it's so multifunctional. We can talk about how to use course in the onboarding process, taking feedback from the legacy sellers and making that and infusing that into the onboarding process. Because we're all going to listen to the rock stars that did it best, anyways. We also use it from a coaching perspective of being able to again validate that learning experience. And make sure that we can either accreditate or certify on it, depending upon what level and depth you want to go with it. And then finally, for continuing education, continually sharpening the sword of our legacy sellers so that we're not sending them out to war with a plastic spoon, if you will.
0: Or for the small or medium-sized business that brings you in uh, to help them uh, with self-enablement. Uh, And this company, let's say they have, you know, a CRM ERP up and running, but they don't have an LMS and they don't have a sales enablement platform and they don't have Cores. You know, they don't have this sort of modern, evolved tech stack. What order, like how do you structure the uh, implementation of these new extensions uh, and, and minimize disruption?
1: Well, it depends upon where they are in the maturation cycle of the company. Most of the time when we're brought in, it's a hyper-growth company, and they are really focused on onboarding and getting folks up to speed in a quick, concise, and scalable manner. So that's generally where we start. But frankly, when we do the gap analysis, the output of that gap analysis will help us to determine what direction that we're going to go with that given company. So again, sometimes it's about the onboarding piece. Other times they may be having problems with coaching with their first line managers. Sometimes it's about um, enhancing the, and mastery of skills, things like, you know, discovery qualification, objection handling, executive level coaching, those kind of pieces. And other times it may be about how we're going to communicate and share this, what tools are required, to get it out the best way at the right time to the sales folks in, again, a role-specific manner. So it's really going to be driven, and that's why everything starts with that initial assessment or gap analysis because we don't want to guess or or just kind of shoot in the dark. We want to go and talk across the lines of business at both the leadership level top-down, and we also talk and do a survey with the sellers from bottom-up, and then we calibrate the two and we start right in that gap where there is a disconnect between the two. In my, in
0: my career over the years, you know, I've seen uh, companies implement and change CRMs and um, you know, it it often can be really disruptive, particularly for the salespeople. And so, you know, when you're looking at these new tools that are are going to increase uh, productivity or, um, Diminish pain as you said you know what's the best way to get the sales folks on board
1: with these tools um, as you introduce them it's very simple and, and we tend to forget it as companies stop focusing on the what or the how and focus on the why this is important to your prospect and your customer and how again you're going to help them to increase that productivity how is this going to Um, help them to decrease pain. And why is it important for them to be able to use this? From two perspectives. One, what's the ROI? And we all talked about that, right? What's the return on investment of this? But I think the thing that I'm seeing more that has been left out for way too long is COI. What is the cost of inaction if you don't do this? I don't mean just a compelling event, but really how is this going to either negatively impact Your company your culture your competitive positioning or your position in the marketplace what is the cost of inaction and uh, final
0: question thank you so much uh, uh, Roderick Jefferson for doing this final question sure where we headed what's what's the future um, you know take us take us 10 years out
1: where are we headed Um, I think it's gonna sound a bit oxymoronic but Machine learning and AI is already starting to pay a far bigger um, Place in sales enablement and it's going to continue to grow because it's going to help to automate and also to streamline processes but something that, that I just put out today on LinkedIn is Humanizing the sales process will become even more important than it is today. Sure. I say machine learning and AI on one side and then on the other side, it's about humanizing because the old adage that people buy from people has never been more true. And throughout the entire ages, if you can't put a human touch into the sales process and focus again, not just on how it's going to help the company improve, but you, the individual, Mr. Miss decision maker, how will this impact you personally by either making this change or not making this change is going to become increasingly more important over the next decade.
0: Roderick Jefferson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening. This is Eric Schwartzman for the B2B Lead Gen Podcast. See you next time.